child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Good morning and happy Sabbath, uh, Advent Hope Church. Thank you for having me. Uh, this morning, uh, the title of the message is Compromise, Courage, and Lasting Legacies. And we've already said a blessing and prayer, but if you would allow me, let us pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be able to partake of your Sabbath, to partake of your blessing of Sabbath peace. And Father, as we dive into your word, as we look at the world around us and make connections, Father, we simply ask that your spirit would open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts, that we could truly, as the song says, be your hands and your feet. We're asking for your spirit now and your presence and blessing with all of us here worshiping in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have developed a, a habit of uh, exercise habit of jogging, running. I'm not necessarily a fan of running, but for the sake of convenience, uh, I have picked up the habit. And something that I enjoy doing is I enjoy running through a cemetery. And a couple summers back, um, I decided that that was going to be my particular route. And what I would do, I'd wake up in the morning, I would uh, read the Bible, and then I'd go for a run. And as I was running, I would chew on whatever devotional thought or whatever message that I had uh, prior to, to stepping out. And upon my route in the cemetery one morning, I just started looking at all of the tombstones and the names um, on the tombstones that I would pass. And obviously there were so many <laughs> and there were a lot of names that I didn't know um, and that I probably will never know about, about those people. Were they Christians? Were, were they Adventists? I'm living in Berrien Springs. Um, did, what did they do in their lifetime? Did they impact the world? Uh, there were many names that I didn't know. And that made me think of a number of deceased people whose names I do know. And the devotional thought I was chewing on, I had read through the book of Hebrews and Hebrews 11.4 says, when it's speaking about Abel, it says, and through his faith, though he died, still speaks. Through his faith, though he died, still speaks. The names I know of those people that have passed or been deceased were people who transformed their communities and their nations through their dedication to God and their understanding of where their true home was. Of course, I'm talking about some specific people, particularly Bible characters. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, it says this about these people. It says, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There are people who have passed who we still look at their life and see the legacy that they left behind. And in this case, in Hebrews chapter 11, a legacy that helps other people connect with God and reach the promised land. Now, in recent weeks, I know you've been talking about uh, the theme of kingdom citizens, and that pretty much being uh, uh, we as Christians, we as the people of God, we are official citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but we currently reside here on earth. And that idea is based on Romans chapter 13, which calls us, which Paul calls us in the church of Rome, he reminds them, we as the people of God are to submit to our governmental authorities, and we are to be law-abiding citizens. Um, and it's great, but if you read Romans 13, simply singled out from the larger picture of Romans and even just the larger picture of the Bible, you may come to a accurate but very limited conclusion that as Christians and as followers of God, we are to obey and follow the laws of governing authority and then full stop. And of course, that's true. However, you would be missing this holistic picture of the letter that Paul writes uh, to the Church of Rome, where he describes the process of transformation, right? And transformation happening to those who believe in Jesus Christ and their sins have been washed away and paid for by the death of, of Jesus Christ. And because of that, that justification, we call it, they become transformed. The spirit of, they become uh, children of God. The spirit of God lives and resides in their heart. And why is this important? Well, this is important because the instruction to obey governing authorities comes after passages like Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, and Paul commands the believers, he says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he says, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And that by testing, right? Trying things, you may, be, you may discern what is the will of God, right? That you may discern what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect, right? So the transformation of the believer actually allows us to live in this world and participate in this world, but not actually be a, a, a tied part to this world. You operate like a normal citizen, but your thoughts, your aims, your motives, your desires, they're all in harmony with heaven first and earth second. And then Paul continues in chapter 12, and he kind of outlines what Christian duty is and what that looks like. And one of the main points that he highlights is to love your neighbor, brotherly love and loving your neighbor in general. So here are a few questions that, that I want to ask this morning and kind of what we're going to uh, look at. But what happens when the ruling authorities, right, who God put in place, says that, violate God's moral law, or rather, prevent you from keeping God's law. Or we could say, what if the government oversteps their authority given by God 
and becomes the oppressor instead of acting out justice for the oppressed, right? What if they're having trouble or not having trouble, but not penalizing wrongdoers, right? What if the government prohibits you from practicing your Christian right to love your neighbor as God has commanded you? The letter to the church in Rome, it comes after a long history, right? We're coming from the Old Testament, all of these stories, then, then to Romans 13. And when you look back, you have whole books of the children of Israel fighting against certain authorities. Why? Because those certain authorities who were instituted by God were actually not, uh, were going beyond their jurisdiction, right? So you have the book of Judges, right? You have um, Esther, who, who's a woman who, who risked her life to go before the king to save an entire people group, right? You have Daniel. He's a man who refused to uh, obey, uh, obey a law that prohibited him from actually praying to God, from talking to God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The story of the three Hebrew boys who refused to obey a law that would compromise their allegiance to God. And even the exodus right and moses in particular but the exodus is a story about the children of israel living leaving a corrupt kingdom uh, that was abusing them in order that they could worship god fully and so all of these stories and all of these ideas and even more they precede romans 13 which is the command to obey governing authorities so we're gonna dive into the bible's hall of fame of heroes or better yet courageous Christians and see how the Bible describes their life and the development of what became their legacy. So if you have your Bibles with me, I'm going to read the um, scripture one more time, starting in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." The way that Hebrews describes the life and journey of Moses kind of shows the world uh, that one of the main ways to leave a lasting legacy, uh, a legacy that lasts for generations so that people like me, thousands of years later are still looking at the life of Moses, is the way to do that is live your life courageous for good or for evil. Usually everyone in between dies in obscurity and we don't know who they are. But when you take a significant stand for something good or for something evil, God forbid the latter, right? You unintentionally often leave a legacy behind that people talk about later. And so although Moses died, right? And was resurrected, we know he's in heaven now, according to scripture, his story from thousands of years ago is still actually helping people make it to the promised land. And that's the point of a legacy. It doesn't necessarily point to you, but by looking at you, people can be pointed to God. Um, 
we know currently uh, in the state of America is, is a bit uh, messy, right? Um, there's a lot of tension, uh, we, the elections, uh, a lot of racial injustice. We're seeing all of this right now. And so the issue of racism and systemic racism in, in recent months has been a focal point of our nation. So in an attempt to, to personally educate myself about the plight of African-Americans, my family's Nigerian-American, so I have a slightly nuanced um, understanding of everything. To educate myself, a friend of mine uh, recommended this book. It's called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. And phenomenal book, I recommend it. If uh, This is a phenomenal book because I wanted to see the connection of the Christian church in relation to the African-American community and the history of racial injustice and oppression. And he talks about how the people of faith through time um, have actively worked against racial justice in America and how through compromising Christian principles, uh, the perpetuation of systemic racism and racial injustice has continued to live on in America. And one of his main points in the book is, is the fact that though many saw and were aware, aware of, of racial injustice taking place, they compromised their Christian principles for a guise of peace by staying silent. Oh, well, I don't want to get involved. In, um, and, and as a result of that, uh, other and uh, let me add on to that. Other Christians actively worked against the uplifting of African-Americans in America. And he says some powerful quotes. I'll, I'll read the two to you. One, the first is he says, the refusal to act in the midst of injustice is itself injustice. And then he follows that up by saying, indifference to oppression perpetuates oppression. So one of the main problems that he highlighted with, with Christianity, through, Christianity throughout time um, on the particular issue of race was the refusal to decisively oppose uh, the racism in their families, in their communities, in their churches. And because of that, that brings forth a continuation of racially motivated crimes and laws uh, that, that hurt or oppress African-Americans uh, in America. And so he starts from the beginning of slavery and then he charts uh, the journey of the American evangelical Protestant Protestants and the role that they played in um, where we are in America today and in terms of the church. And so there are other reasons why we are at, at, the, at the situation that we're in, um, in American society, but this is what the book focused on. And so ultimately he concludes that complicit Christianity or a Christianity of compromise forfeits its moral authority by devaluing the image of God in people of color. And that courageous Christians, courageous Christianity stands against any practice, society, or culture that would dim the glory of God. So we're going to look at scripture and uh, we're going to see, um, look at the life of Moses, Moses and how Hebrews 11 describes him. Um, because even though the political structure is clearly not the same as it was in, in Egypt uh, in, the, in the past, the principles behind the actions of the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11 and of Moses, they're the same. The reasons why they did this, the things that they did and they took the stands that they, that they took was because the principles behind them were the same.
Verse 23 says this, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict or law. I like the phrase, because they saw. And remember in Romans 12, it talks about testing and using discernment, right? To prove what is the will of God. Well, Moses' parents did a good job here because they realized that that law was not of the will of God. <laughs> um, and even uh, in Acts 7, 20, when, when Stephen, who was being stoned, when he recites the story, he says, the child was beautiful in God's sight. And so um, not only was the child beautiful, Moses was a, a beautiful child, um, also, Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, they were devout Israelites. And why do, how do we know that? We know that because they raised three people that ended up in the ministry. Miriam, a prophetess, Aaron, a priest, and Moses, another prophet and leader, right? So we know that they were very dedicated and Moses had morals when he went into the palace of the king, um, of uh, Pharaoh. But here's a, a, a truth I want us to take away from just this verse of seeing and discerning. A courageous Christian's ability to discern good and evil in the laws of the land and also act upon their convictions is directly tied to their connection with God. So put in other words, basically our ability to discern if a law is good or bad or if something is the will of God or not the will of God is directly tied to our connection with God. Because if you know God, you'll know what he stands for. And so, and if you, if you think of other examples, it wasn't until Paul actually spent time with God, God met him on Damascus Road, and then he takes time, goes in the wilderness of Arabia. He spends time and there he realizes, one, he's persecuting the wrong people. And two, the Gentiles also need the gospel. <laughs> and it wasn't until he was fully connected with God that he understood that and his perception, his, uh, yeah, his perception changed and his discernment everything. That transformation is so important. In the book, Color of Compromise, he, he uses an example, Jamar Tisby, the author, uses an example of John Newton and how uh, John Newton is the gentleman who wrote the famous hymn, uh, Amazing Grace. Prior to that, he was known as a very um, a slave trader, very nasty, very um, not a good person. But even after his conversion, he was still a part of the slave trade. He has this big conversion moment and then he continues in this, um, in this trafficking. He manned a ship. And so uh, later in life, he's reflecting and he writes this letter of repentance and his sincere regrets of having participated in such an endeavor. And so as a result of his sorrow, he was so uh, pushed to do something that he actually was instrumental in persuading William Wilberforce, who was one of the British politicians that helped abolish the slave trade. He was instrumental in persuading him to stay in politics for the very purpose of abolishing the slave trade in England. And so if you think about it, had John Newton not have made those last efforts, written that letter of repentance, reached out to Wilberforce, he would have lived a life of compromising 
of, of a compromising Christian, right? And he would have died in obscurity. I mean, once people found out that Amazing Grace was written, written by someone who was still selling slaves and still very much in promotion of that industry, we would have thro thrown the song out, right? But because he, he in his attempt, he attempted to change things around, there he is. We, know, we now know John Newton. And why would he have died in obscurity had he not done that? Because at that time, most or even many Christians were involved in the slave trade, but they were also preaching, uh, preaching to love their neighbors on Sunday, right? And John Newton, he became a minister and, and was still part of the slave trade and then later um, turned around. But look at verse three, there's another part. It says that his parents were not afraid of the king's edict. Take this away. Fear is not for courageous Christians, it's for the faithless. Fear is not for courageous Christians, it's for the faithless. Often what stops a Christian or a person from doing something, something good or something moving forward in their life is fear. Fear of failure, fear of ridicule, fear of persecution, fear of loneliness, fear of a lack of acceptance, right? And because of this fear, they end up compromising their morals and embracing the fear instead of embracing God's word. If fear had stopped Esther from going in before the king, that story would be very different. Would we have the children of Israel today? Excuse me. Fear is often a deterrent for us to not obey uh, uh, the word of the Lord. But when you are so in tune with God, when you have that discernment, you have that connection, fear is only for the faithless, not for the courageous. Look at verse 24. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Courageous Christians don't let their comfort dictate their identity. Let me say that one more time. Courageous Christians don't let their comfort dictate their identity. They're, a Christian should always operate on God's principles, right? And when they fail, they should acknowledge it so that God is not blamed. But think about it. Moses actually could have lived in the house of the Pharaoh. He didn't have to work out in the fields. He wasn't a slave. He had people waiting on him. At his command, things would come. He, Moses was privileged. He could have chosen an easy life. He could have become the next king of Egypt. But the beautiful thing about Moses is that he didn't let his privilege get in the way. In fact, he used his privilege to help the people of God. Moses became a type of ambassador, a, a communicator between two worlds. In the book, The Color of Compromise, it implies the idea that had more white American Protestant Christians during the time of, of segregation and throughout our history, 
if they had used their status in society to speak out against racial injustices, our current narrative would have been very different. Now, I'm not saying that we didn't have abolitionists or there weren't people who spoke out, but a large majority did not. Um, and by speaking on behalf of their oppressed brothers and sisters, right, which is in harmony with the command in Romans 12 to love your, love your brother and love your neighbor as yourself, the scripture, um, if they had done that here on earth, they would become an ambassador, right? But also they would be an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven, right? Verse 25, it says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, speaking of Moses, than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Courageous Christians don't compromise their principles for ease and pleasure. Courageous Christians don't compromise their principles for ease and pleasure. Wherever God is, that's where his people should want to be. Whether it's in the palace of kings or whether it's in the slum villages of the poor, that's where anyone with a real connection with God will want to be. Revelation 14 it says, speaking of the saints, it says, they followed the lamb wherever he went. Why? Because they understand something, just like Daniel, who put his life on the line. They understand that it's better to suffer on behalf of God and his people, or with, with them, than to prosper without them. And the truth is, is I'm just afraid that many of us don't really believe that. Nobody likes to suffer. <laughs> no one likes to be persecuted. No one likes to be hated, right? But the promise is, I'll be with you wherever you go, right? Do we believe that? Do we believe it's better to have Jesus? Like the song says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold, right? Would we actually rather have that? Because it comes at a price, but that price is earthly, right? And there's a reward that is heavenly, looking for a city, a kingdom that God has shaped with his own hands. But when we actually look at the life of Jesus, where was Jesus when he came? Where did he spend most of his time, right? I actually, uh, and maybe you know, but I, I can only think of two feasts that Jesus was a part of, right? We've got the wedding at Cana. We've got Simon the leper's feast. If you think another, about another one, send it in the chat. But those were like the two big parties that the gospel talks about. The, the rest of the time when the gospels document the life of Jesus, right? It talks about Jesus always being with uh, the poor, the oppressed, uh, the outcast, the strangers, the lepers, everyone who was overlooked in society that's where he was. If you wanted to meet Jesus, follow him to the next village where he healed everyone in one entire day. That's where he was, working on behalf of people, being a voice for the voiceless, being a blessing everywhere that he went. And by doing that, Jesus actually validated their plight by being present with them in the suffering. And so 
when we, when we as Christians, when we as the people of God, when we weep with those who are weeping, when we rejoice with those who, who rejoice, when we share in their experience, we actually validate their plight and their oppression in society by being a presence, by hearing, by learning, and then by, by being a voice. But if we compromise for the sake of ease, for the sake of peace, for the sake of not getting involved, we actually ignore a very real reality and we tarnish the name of God. Jesus often used his earthly and heavenly privileges, whatever they were, to bless other people. And that's what we as Christians and we as the people of God should do as well. Verse 26 says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The opinion, the rebukes, and the thoughts of God are a courageous Christian's priority. The opinion, the rebukes, and the thoughts of God are a courageous Christian's priority. There's this uh, syndrome that a lot of people get when they fall head over heels for someone. It's the, I don't care what anyone says syndrome. And I had a good friend of mine who um, was so in love with this, uh, with this girl um, that he wouldn't listen to, to anything else anyone said about her, whether it was negative or whether it was advice. He did not care. This, he was one track minded. And Honestly, I wish that we were more one track minded for what God says and God's opinion. The only thing that that he was concerned about was what his significant other uh, uh, had in mind, her opinions, her whatever. But I wish that Christians would be a little more like that when it when it comes to God's word, when it comes to what God says. The I don't care syndrome, the God's whatever God says, that means the most to me. Right. And everything else is secondary. And for us, if, if we care more about what others think um, than, what, uh, than what God thinks, then you will eventually compromise your principles. You will. I remember <laughs> just a, a funny story. I was, I think I was about 12 and I was a junior bridesmaid at a wedding. And if you've ever been participated in a wedding before, um, during the reception, <clears throat> when it's time for the bridal party uh, to walk in, they'll play music and then they'll introduce, you know, each, uh, each pair individually, right? And so myself and my partner, we had to come up with an entrance, right? How are we going to enter the room when they called our names? So we're discussing it and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a spin and then I'm going to do a pose. And then depending on how much music they give us, I'm going to do a side, side shuffle. And then I'm going to pose, right? So we're talking it out and I'm planning and I've got it all mapped, it, mapped out in my head. So as soon as the music starts playing and they call my name, they call my partner's name, I walk in, I look around and I chickened out. <laughs> I couldn't do the spin. I didn't want to do my fancy pose I started seeing the people standing clapping and looking at us it was too much pressure and I chickened out I walked in I stood stiff like a tree they took a picture and there you have it the moment had passed and I and I filled it and my partner was like 
what happened? I thought we were going to do all this. Oh yeah, I thought I was too, right? <laughs> and some of us think that we'll be ready to stand, right? When the time comes from, for, for injustices of the world or stand for the right, though the heavens fall, right? But every day when we have small opportunities to make moral decisions or to speak up on somebody else's behalf or to talk about your faith or do this, we chicken out. We chicken out under pressure. So when is a good time for the people of God to stand for what's right? When the world is crumbling around us, is that a good time or is that a time where we sit back in peace? Every time is a good time. And when does it actually count the most? Is it in the big situations or is it in the small situations, right? And so where are you standing? As the world is, is, is like this, turmoil, right? As it's in turmoil, okay, where's our firm ground? right? Where do we stand? Where can we plant our feet? The practice of standing for God and being comfortable doing it happens over time. It never happens overnight or in an instance. It happens over time. Look at verse 27. <clears throat> By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Rebelling against evil by standing for truth is the only rebellion interpreted as faith and courage. Okay, it's not, it's different than a negative, the, the negatively uh, uh, connotated idea of rebellion. It's actually looked at as faith and courage. Why? Because when you go back and read the books, you go back and review the tapes, hindsight 2020, right? You'll see that this was actually the right thing to do. And it was courageous and it was faith, right? A demonstration of faith. You know, we always talk about Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, he, how great he was and what, what a stand he took for civil rights. But during the time he actually was making the stand for, for uh, equality for African-Americans, many people were opposing him. There were a lot of obstacles that he had to jump over. There are a lot of obstacles that he had to overcome in order for him to make the type of progress that he did during his life. And sometimes we gloss over that part, right? <laughs> Pushing forward and being courageous is never the easy thing to do. And we forget about all of the opposition surrounding Martin Luther King when he was, you know, making this speech or doing this or, you know, doing this boycott. And the same thing will happen with Christians. Our recognition will not come today, tomorrow even. Our recognition may actually only come in heaven, which is the best recognition you could get. But honestly, all of the people who have left lasting legacies that we're reading about today have made stands and have dictated or shaped uh, uh, the, the um, forward progression of, of the earth, of the world, right? Of forward thinking even. <clears throat> here's here's the, the, 
how we're going to wrap this up or this idea. What is our role for today as the people of God, right? You have to look around you, look in your community, look at your neighbors. What is my role? If I'm carrying the name of God, right? If I've been transformed, like Romans is talking about, and now I'm an obedient citizen, which is good. Is is there more to my role as an obedient citizen, right? What does it look like for me to be a a law-abiding citizen in the eyes of God, right? In the context that I live in today. So I'd like us to think, what injustices, right, are taking place around you that may need your privilege as an ambassador, right? Who's oppressed around you? Is it immigrant communities? Is it black communities? Is it the homeless? Is it the LGBT community? Because they're human beings. <laughs> is it recovering addicts, right? Who, who is being oppressed? Who is being harmed and who is being hurt? And we need to look and say, and whether, whether through legislation, right, they're being harmed or whether through personal contact or everyone's time to stand will come, right? And honestly, it's, it's probably already here. There's something that you can be connected with to be a blessing to, to be a help to, to be an ambassador to for the kingdom of God. Hebrews eleven sixteen, like we read earlier, says this. They desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is my desire for all of us, that our lives would be testimonies of courageous Christians so that we can lift up the name of Jesus and his name can be glorified. And I want to charge us to steer clear of being compromising Christians because we wind up leaving no legacy at all. We wind up in obscurity. We are just another name erased in the dust. Let us take a stand for God and let that be our prayer this morning.